The following message is made available for you by Emanuel Baptist Church in Mora, Minnesota. For more information, visit us online at www.emanuelmora.com. Mark 10:46. Then they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was the Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go on your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Well, one of the greatest experiences that I ever had as a pastor was the three and a half years that I spent leading a Bible study and doing general ministry uh, in a facility that housed people with severe mental health illnesses. And the house, uh, the, the building primarily housed uh, residents with paranoid schizophrenia. And it was a tremendous amount of uh, ministry that could be done there. It was a facility that housed brokenness. Uh, There wasn't anyone there that I was aware of that didn't have some sort of a tragic story behind them. And so the the place had these residents that were broken. The house, the facility also had rooms filled with people who were lonely. Uh, These uh, these people here uh, were... Uh, really of one of two types. There were the ones that had family that absolutely loved them and adored them, but they didn't have the resources in order to care for them. And so they went to this place to be cared for. And the other type that was there were the ones that uh, either had no family or their family had abandoned them. Uh, Bridges had been burned. Uh, There had been issues that had happened uh, because of alcohol and drug abuse. And on top of the mental health issues, uh, things were just very, very complicated in their lives. This facility also housed bondage. Many of these residents had no advocates. They had no one to plead their case for them. And uh, in fact, the owner of the facility would con those ones into handing over their entire social security check over to him every single month. And in, re- in return, he would give them shelter, food, and a couple of dollars a week so that they could go out and buy some candy. Uh, to my horror, I found out that this is actually legal in Nebraska, that the ones that they are uh, living in can, can take their social security uh, money in that way, but that's the way it was. Um, Yes, they were suffering from horrible psychiatric disorders, but many of them also lived in a pseudo-catatonic state because the drugs that they were on were so strong that they were only a shell of themselves. It was a very sad place to live. And ironically, the place was called the Liberty House. The place where they were supposed to have freedom, they were more stuck in their issues. And it was at the Liberty House that I met my friend Bruce. 
Bruce was a man that was in his 60s. Uh, I never knew what his diagnosis was that, that brought him to uh, the Liberty House, but I, I do know that his alcoholism in the past and, and spousal abuse is what led him to have his, his family be completely destroyed uh, with being divorced. He had a daughter that did care for him, but she was many hours uh, away. And it was after the time that his life fell completely apart with, with alcohol and abuse that, that Bruce went fully blind. He could no longer see. And so Bruce, though, was not sad. Bruce was a very joyful man. He had a boisterous sense of humor, and he loved to talk with anybody that would take the time to talk with him. And you might ask how it is that such a man that has such a sad story can be so joyful. And it didn't take long for me to figure out that after his life fell apart with his life choices and his behaviors, and after he had lost his sight and gone blind, it was at that point that he met Jesus. And his story is the one that showed me very clearly that when Jesus shows up on the situation, everything changes. And I thought about Jesus as I was studying, uh, I thought about uh, Bruce as I was studying this passage. Our passage this week focuses on the very last miracle that Jesus performed in the Gospel of Mark. From here on out, it is the journey to Jerusalem in order to get to the cross. But before he gets to Jerusalem, he must go through Jericho. And archaeologists have said that Jericho is one of, one of two of the oldest cities that have continual inhabitation uh, ever since they have recorded things. They believe that it was uh, that people have been living there uh, since about 9000 B.C., it is in the middle of the desert, but it is a geographical oddity because it sits so far below sea level, it has an oasis. So many weary pilgrims that were traveling from the north to go to Jerusalem would stop in Jericho in order to have a rest on their way to a, a pilgrimage. It also makes the perfect place for desperate beggars to plead for change. And as Jesus and his entourage are making their way through the city, they come upon such a, a beggar, a man named Bartimaeus. And Mark uses this incident to teach the reader uh, what coming to Jesus and what following him looks like. And we have spent the last number of weeks highlighting how uh, Jesus' disciples fail to see him clearly in who he is and it happens again and again and again and again and yet like my friend bruce it took a blind man to show us that they see far better than these disciples do and maybe some of us this bartimaeus has a much clearer vision than most of us do but lest we misunderstand the point of the passage, uh, let's, let's get it clear before we dig in. This passage is not about Bartimaeus. This text does not provide a formula or a how-to manual in how to attract the attention of Jesus so that he will look favorably upon us. 
this text is meant to focus our blind eyes or our dull eyes on the glory and the majesty and the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the kindness and the love of Jesus for the undeserved, for the marginalized, for the unlovable, for the unlovely, for the destitute, for the weary, for the weak, for the poor, for the lost, and so much more. This text points us to a man named Jesus. Notice first that this text points out our desperate need for him. Accept your need of Jesus. Uh, my mornings are remarkably consistent. Uh, every morning is about the same. The alarm goes off at about 5.30. About 6 o'clock, I finally roll out of bed. Uh, I, I, I will either change and, and get ready for the day, or more often than not, I'll be pressed for time, so I just have to get in the shower or change. I get the dog up, I take him outside, and then bring him back in, feed him, and then I eat the same thing that I have eaten almost every single day without fail for about three to four, maybe five years. A cinnamon raisin bagel. And as soon as that's done, I'll brush my teeth and I will be on my way. I am consistent and I desire routine because I get frazzled very, very easily. I find stability and joy in consistency. Bartimaeus also had a morning routine, but I doubt he found much joy in it. Every morning he would wake up to the same darkness that would stay with him all day, every day, just as it did yesterday and the day before that. And the day before that, and the day before that. Maybe there might be breakfast, but probably not. In order to get food, he had to go to work. And for him, work was sitting by the side of the road in Jericho. With either his, his cloak, or we would think about it as a jacket, laid out in front of him. Or a glass jar, both of which he would collect people's generosity to him. And there he would be for the rest of the day, calling out to people, calling out to people that he heard, calling out to people that might not be there at all. Um, and maybe if the right person were to come along, they would give him some spare change. There's probably a heightened sense of anxiety with him because in a, with a person that, uh, that cannot see, it could be that someone might sneak up very quietly and take whatever it is that he has gotten for the day. That's it. That's his life. Every single day. There are no holidays at the beach. There aren't any vacations. Until you take your dying breath, you are confined to this life of never seeing anything and being completely dependent on the meager generosity of strangers. It's a bondage of a different kind. It would have been a miserable way to live. But yet he has a name, verse 46. It's crucial that we notice that Mark uses Bartimaeus' name. It is the only time in all of the synoptic gospels, the first three gospels, that a gospel writer uses the actual name of the person who is being healed. 
And it's used twice here for effect. First, he says his name, Bartimaeus. And then he says what Bartimaeus means. Son of Timaeus. Bartimaeus was probably well known in Jericho. That's probably why Mark put it here. Uh, so when Mark's audience would read this, they would say, Oh, Bartimaeus, that, 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 that's Tim's son. The one that was healed, I, I've heard about him. And they could go back to verify the story. But Mark also named him so that we could see his humanity. Bartimaeus was a real person. He was one man living in one city at one historic time. And we are meant to see this one individual in terms of the social hierarchy as the lowest of the lows. Worse than a slave. Worse than a servant. We're meant to see him as utterly desperate, dependent, distressed, disheveled, and totally without hope. His future looks as dark as his vision. And so we're meant to see this man's insignificance. He has nothing to offer. In fact, he's a liability. People see him as a nuisance. If you look in verse 48, the people around him who have probably known him for years try to shut him up because he is, uh, they don't want Jesus to be bothered or they don't want to have to be bothered by him. So they're telling him, keep quiet. We don't want to hear from you. And we're meant to see this man invisible to the world as the object of Jesus' grace. This man who has probably been rejected and begged for years and decades sees nothing in his future. And he knows that the path that he's on isn't going to get him anywhere. He cannot wish his blindness away. He can't pay for it. He can't work enough in order to get his vision. He cannot earn it. There's, there's no medical intervention by which a surgeon can fix him in this way. And so he employs his sense of hearing and his gift of speaking to do something about it. Look in verses 47 through 48. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And, and many warned him to keep quiet, but he was crying out all the more, Have mercy on me, son of David. This man here may be blind, but he is not dumb. His theology is solid. He cries out to him, Jesus, son of David. He knows that back in 2 Samuel 7, God promised that there would be a king that would sit on the throne in the line of David forever. And he had come to believe that this Jesus, who is merciful, would come and be that king. Not a conquering king to overthrow Rome, but a conquering king to overthrow sin and temptation, and disease, and anything that would get in our way of, of, of knowing who he is, to worship him. This is a savior who he sees can have compassion, and in that compassion, 
he could change things. We're meant to see in this story that just like Bruce, when Jesus shows up, everything changes. The problem is, is that when we read passages like this, we tend to forget that we're like Bartimaeus. We read this as a neat story. All the while, we're, we're totally clueless to our own spiritual bondage and our own spiritual blindness. We get so accustomed to life as it is that we don't realize how much we beg every single day like Bartimaeus on the road of life for anything that we, that we think or hope could actually give us life. We spread out our cloaks. We put our, our jars out there and delude ourselves into thinking that money and security and identity and sex and power and popularity and entertainment politics, employment, even religion itself, toys, relationships will help us to see what life is all about. And we are on the road begging and yelling at those things to give us life, to give us sight, when in fact it is dulling our eyes. To the point of blindness. We desperately need to come to our senses. And we need to see and realize that we need to be rescued from ourselves. We need Jesus to step in and change us. We need to see how deep we've gone. We need Jesus' grace to invade our lives, to open up our eyes and see his grace. So we need to see our desperate need for him. But second of all, we also need to respond to the call of Jesus. We need to respond to his call. Let's look back in verse 47. He says, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then he warned him to keep quiet, but he was crying out all the more, have mercy on me, son of David. Now we have to be very cautious when we approach a text like this, because there is uh, a tendency in, in evangelical circles to come to a passage like this and conclude Wow, look at this Bartimaeus. He had such persistent faith. He wasn't going to let anything get in his way. That's what made the difference. His persistence is what got uh, Jesus' attention. After all, he did his research. He knew who he was. He timed it out right. And when Jesus came by, he called out for him and, and he won. If we take that approach, we will not only miss the point of this passage, but we're also going to miss the gospel. We will pass right by this beautiful display of God's grace, just like when we would miss an exit on the highway. Because if we were to take this passage in that way, we would be left with 
uh, leaving her saying, in order to get Jesus to hear us, we must do fill in the blank. We must be uh, this kind of person. We must do these sorts of, of, of actions. You do this, I do this, and you owe me this. It's this quid pro quo. And so this miracle and the good news of this passage is not that Bartimaeus was persistent. It's not at all. The beauty of this passage is in verse 49 when it says that Jesus stopped and called to him. Call him. There's nothing Nothing, nothing in life that we need more than Jesus to, than for Jesus to stop and to call us. It is more important than food. It is more important than clothing. It is more important than shelter. It is more important than education. It's more important than marriage. It's more important than money. It is more important that, than the air that we breathe. It is more important than life itself. When Jesus calls himself to us, he is offering us true life. And when he calls, he is giving us all that he is for all that we are. And this hits home more prominently in verse 49. And it says, so they, the very same people that just a minute ago were telling him to shut up, called the blind man and said, have courage. Take heart. Get up. He's calling you. Now, this is really important here. Who is Jesus calling? He's calling the blind man, Bartimaeus, right? Who is he not calling? Everybody else. Jesus' focus is squarely on Bartimaeus. One man in all of the city of Jericho at this time, he calls Bartimaeus. And this is stunning news because if Jesus would set his sight specifically on one insignificant blind man living in Jericho at that time, then there is nobody whom his mercy cannot reach. If he calls people like Bartimaeus, then he calls people like you and like me. You may feel today that you are completely insignificant in the world, and that may be true. You may feel that no one hears, cares, listens, that you're beyond hope. And that tomorrow you're going to wake up to the same exact situation that you woke up to today. The same old drudgery that you've been doing every single day. You may be fearful that you're never going to get out of the secret sinful pattern. You may be terrified that the pain will still be there after uh, that uh, the pain will be there that no therapist can touch. Friends, the one whom all things were created through, by, and for has broken into this broken creation and is stopping and calling you out of your blindness into the vision of his grace and his mercy. And verse 50 tells us what this man did. It says he threw off his coat. He jumped up and came to Jesus. 
His cloak was probably a, a, a coat that was used for collecting people's handouts. And he just leaves it. The same way Matthew left the tax collector's booth. Just left it there. The same way that Peter left his nets in the boat and just followed Jesus. He leaves it here. And he jumps up and he runs to Jesus. Now, I'm no uh, expert on, on the uh, you know, whereabouts of blind people, but my guess is that he hasn't ran anywhere anytime soon. Because running for him would be very dangerous at this point. But this man is not letting anything get in the way of him answering Jesus' call. He has no guarantee that Jesus is even going to do anything. All he did was plead for mercy. And if Jesus calls us to himself and we have Jesus on our side, then what else do we need to fear? If this man feels that he could live for the rest of his life blind, but he has the mercy of Jesus, then that's all that he needs. And if that is true, then cancer has absolutely nothing on us. Deafness has nothing on us. Broken relationships have nothing on us. Grief cannot undo us. Indeed, death itself must bow the knee when Jesus is clocked in on the job. You are Bartimaeus. I am Bartimaeus. We are weak. We are needy. We're helpless. And Jesus is calling. So what are you going to do? Third and finally, we should receive sight in the name of Jesus. When Bartimaeus reaches Jesus, Jesus asks, asks him a very interesting question. Jesus answered him, verse 51, what do you want me to do for you? Now this, this question would have made the ears of the disciples, especially James and John, perk up a little bit. Because if you remember last week, uh, two weeks ago, um, we had looked at the passage where James and John come up to Jesus and they, they say to him in verse 35, they say, teacher, we want you to do whatever it is that we ask you to do. What a preposterous question to ask the king of the universe. And Jesus played, played along with them in verse 36 when he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? It's the exact same question that he asked Bartimaeus. And we're meant to see the stark contrast here that Mark is presenting us with. On the one hand, James and John were completely prideful and presumptuous. And Jesus uses the question in order to condemn them. On the other hand, he asks this question to Bartimaeus, who doesn't appear to be presumptuous, who appears to be humble and has a desperate need for the grace of Jesus. For one, Jesus uses the question to indict for another, he uses it to bring life. And it all comes down to the heart. What is their heart condition? What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asks. 
is meant to draw out this man's trust. And he says in verse 51, he says, Rabboni, the blind man said to him, I want to see. Now there's a significant difference between the rabbi and the Rabboni. Rabbi is the word for a general Jewish teacher. Rabboni is used very seldomly in the New Testament. And it's typically used to address God in prayer. So what Bartimaeus is doing here is confessing faith. He is confessing what he knows about Jesus. And now out of his compassion and mercy, verse 52, Jesus says to him, Go, your faith has, has saved you. Some translations will say your faith has healed you. We're talking about the same thing. This man responded to the grace of Jesus' call by faith. That's the order. Jesus calls us, we respond. This, friends, is the only appropriate response that we ought to have to Jesus. We hear his call. We leave those things that we cling to for hope and life. And we trust in Jesus alone. This is the glorious message of the gospel. Regardless of who you are, no matter what you've done, whatever you struggle with, when you hear the call of Christ and run to him, his mercy will meet you wherever you are. And this passage ends beautifully in showing us what happens after Jesus' mercy uh, meets us. Verse 52. Immediately he could see and began to follow Jesus on the road. If you had not seen anything for 30, 40 years, or maybe you've never seen anything before, what's the first thing that you think you would do? i tell you what I would do. I would get in a car and I'd go up to Grand Marais. And I would start walking through some of the state parks up there to see the, the beauty of God's creation. Maybe I might go to the Pacific Northwest. Maybe I might go to the, the North Atlantic to see these, these absolutely beautiful sights. The Grand Canyon. But not Bartimaeus. He only uses his sight to follow Jesus. Whereas in verse 46, the text says that he was sitting on the side of the road. Now in verse 52, he is walking on the road with Jesus. That's the mark of one who has had their spiritual eyes opened by the grace of Jesus. Their focus and their gaze is on Jesus and are willing to go with him wherever he leads. I was once in touch with a ministry that provided uh, free Braille Bibles for the blind. And I wanted to surprise my friend Bruce. And I don't know if you've ever seen a Braille book, but they're often much bigger than regular books. And so these Braille Bible books would come uh, in different shipments. 
because they were so big. And I'd get one, and maybe a month later I'd get the next. Well, the first one that I got was a rather uh, uh, obscure one. It was First Kings something. And so I, I was excited to bring it to Bruce, and, and I opened it up in front of him. And uh, uh, knowing that uh, he had only listened to an audio Bible. And I opened it up, and I said, Bruce, I have a book in front of you. I want you to see what it is. And so he started moving his, his fingers across the braille. And I'll never forget what happened next. His blind eyes started filling with tears. And he said in his wonderful voice, Oh my, it's the Bible! He had not read the Bible in over 30 years before he became blind. This is a man who is spiritually blind but sees more than many of us. In your spiritual blindness, how do you hear the words of Jesus and look to him in obedience? Have you been ignoring or not listening to the voice of the one who stops for us and shows us his mercy by saying, Come to me, and I will help you see life like you've never seen it before. Friends, our hope is in the one who can open blind eyes. Our hope is in the one that can raise the dead to life because he himself has risen from the dead. Help is here. And his name is Jesus. Open your eyes and see the salvation of our God. Let's pray. Father.